Okay, with Richard Baisley, Censure is the short film. It's 39 minutes long, and it's from it's from the Black and White Film Festival. So it's got a certain experimental kind of vibe to it. It's 39 minutes long. That would be a red flag for me for uh, for many reasons. But this film is this film is amazing. It really works well, and it kind of just has a really nice pace to it. So congrats. I'm sure that I'm assuming the film's doing well, Richard. It, oh, it's, it's yeah, doing incredibly well. It's won over 40 awards already. And as you said, um, interestingly, uh, about the black and white being a red flag. Um it's more about the it's more about the experimental quality and the yeah. in the in the the length, the, the 40 minute length. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um I, I had um several people say, oh no, don't uh cut <laughs> it down, not having seen the film. And we put the film together, the, the script, the pages, uh, I think it was under 20 pages. So obviously we added a lot of stuff in uh, filming it um, because there's a lot of music in it. There's a great score um, by uh, Noise in Your Eye. Um, and as we were, we, we had plenty of footage, as we were putting it together, um, we looked at cutting it down to half because it's much easier getting it into festivals if it's under 20 minutes. Um, and I knew that. But um, I've also worked on a lot of big films, got a lot of experience, and this was one of the first opportunities where I had where I had control of the film and tell the story that I wanted to tell. And when we started cutting it together, I, I knew that if we had cut it down or done a, even a 20-minute version, it would have been literally half the film it should be. And uh, so I stuck to my guns. I said, next film which we did, we'll do under 20 minutes, we'll make sure, but this one, this stays, this is what, this is the film that I want. Because yeah. when you get into big budgets, um, you know, millions of pounds um, involved, you're dictated by so many factors due to uh, investors and executives. And there's so many great films that years later, they have to release a director's cut, uh, like a Ridley Scott film, um, you know, obviously he can um, because years later he's made it big. Yeah. Um, so um, there are other projects where I've been put under pressure to change characters, to do this or do that. And I knew this was my baby. So I, I took it and run with it. And if you want uh, if, <laughs> to be crude, I, I put the fingers up and said, this is what, how I'm going to do it. And I was able to include one of the greatest actors, um, his voice anyway, um, and I'm a huge fan, uh, Tom Conti. And I was amazed that he agreed to do it um, as kind of a favor because I was trying to get him in a film years ago. And again, the execs were like, oh, you know, he's had Oscar nominations. He was big years ago, but Hollywood has a short term memory. Yeah. Um, but well, Hollywood has a memory of that if the actor can sell the product and supply. That's it. right. That's yeah. right. So there's so much pressure and you have to go with what's current and what's new. It's because a lot of the executives. I will be blunt, are lazy and they don't know you better. So they, 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 they're afraid of their jobs, so they don't take risks. And one of the greatest films I worked on happened by default because the executives were out of the picture and Brad Bird made The Iron Giant, and I was a lead animator on that. Yeah. And the only reason he was able to do it because Warner Brothers was in disarray. The executives were looking away. Um, a film had just come out, A Quest for Camelot, which bombed. It was $150 million. It bombed. Yeah. And... They were like, we don't know what to do. And Brad came in, they slashed his budget. When I say slashed his budget, it was still like 80 million, but he was a bit fed up at the time. And he created an absolute classic. Now, here are red flags. It was based in the 50s. It's uh, It refers to a nuclear bomb at the, end, at the end. It has all the things that 
you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to do the kids' film. Yeah. Well, I'm not a kids' film. Actually, Iron Giant is not a kids' film. It's just a great film that, like the old Disney films, includes everybody. So cool. um, that was a great inspiration. Working with a guy like that, Brad Bird, who sticks to his gun, a great filmmaker. My God. Well, uh, so, they, so it's funny that you mentioned, well, one, uh, people can, there's a, there's a book on the, I, I don't know the specific book, but there's a book on the history of Disney. And they have a whole chapter about what you just described, about yeah. like how that film got made. And yeah. though, yeah, the whole company was in disarray until yeah. until Katzenberg yeah. came aboard. And like, yeah, they, 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 he gave them the freedom. But Bradbury comes up in our in this in the podcast a lot because uh okay. because of other animators worked with them and he he this this guy must have an amazing reputation because he well well, well Wally's an amazing movie Ratatouille yeah. is an incredible yeah. movie yeah. that he switched that movie halfway through well, oh he did that's me, right. right he pulled it together he pulled it together and, yeah and basically Inside Out he was a creative like basically The Incredibles which which yeah. uh which I've seen many times when yeah. you have children so basically yeah so like. Yeah. He keeps coming up, so he must be doing something right. He he does, but um, uh, it's been a massive um challenge for him, I know, because originally he was too outspoken back in the day at Disney, uh, and he was actually fired. Um, and I remember a, a friend of mine describing how he was walking down the corridor, kicking one of those water bottles, <laughs> making out of a racket, um, in frustration, um, because nobody would listen. So it, interesting, it, it's so interesting that he was fired, and then he had that journey. Um, to Warner Brothers and then to uh, Pixar, where John Lasseter picked him up. And uh, then when they were taken over by Disney, he was again working for Disney. So it's kind of ironic. But, you know, he was right. So, um, no, it's good to have people like that, um, great filmmakers. And he was he was an animator like me, too, uh, so, himself. And he basically made the best Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. <laughs> he directed the main yeah. Ghost Protocol. So he, mm-hmm. but so let me talk. So you, we, let's go back for a second because you're yeah. an animator by trade and now you're doing was, live yeah. action, right? So you have a, a vast, vast experience being an animator, the illusionist, other movies like the Eight Crazy Nights. You did some, uh, you do storyboards. Uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with Doc McStuffin. So you were the storyboard oh, for Doc McStuffin. I did some on that. Yeah, freelance. <laughs> yeah, I did freelance on some, on some of that. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I got frustrated with doing uh, kids' storyboards, but I'll get into that. I started out on Who Framed Roger Rabbit as an in-betweener. And by the end of the film, it was only six months. Amazingly, I was being chucked, throwing some scenes to animate. They were so desperate to get it done. Um, but it was, you know, trial by fire. But there was no way that they could take me to Disney in America when they closed the studio down because I wasn't experienced enough. I hadn't studied animation at, at college. Um, so um, I went and worked uh, at Don Bluth Studios in Ireland for about five years and became a lead animator. Uh, and only at that time, when I talked to Disney again, uh, did they say, yeah, we can bring you in now through immigration because they had to prove that they couldn't hire an American to do the same job. So I got to a level. Um, so uh, they hired me on uh, Pocahontas on John Smith. Um, and I worked. And you with animated great... John Smith and I, I was one of ten animators. Uh, the lead animator was, was John Palmore, who had been a partner in Don Blue Studios in Ireland, uh, where I had been working, although I hadn't met him in, at that point. Um, so that was an amazing ex- experience. And then on to I'm skipping through this because I want to talk about the live action stuff pretty quickly. No, 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 I know you're just but, you, got basically you come minutes. from this this vast world and you have experience and you probably yeah, have but, a career in basically. So Hercules I was a lead animator on Hercules. And then, um, uh, yeah, also, oh, went to, um, I pitched The Iron Man by Ted Hughes, the book, 
to uh, Don Bluth in Ireland, but he passed on it saying, this is just a featurette. And obviously it's a very slim book, but I knew there was potential. So when I was at um, Disney, I got a call from a friend and they said, they're working on it over here. I said, you're kidding. She said, said, come on over and meet Brad Bird. So I went with, met with Brad Bird and he talked me into leaving Disney, which was a huge thing. Um, but, but back in the day we were in demand. So the money was so damn good. <laughs> I, yeah. took, I took that, that, that helped. So, um, uh, I went over and worked on um, Iron Giant, this film that I'd originally pitched. So at least I was a part of it, uh, and a, a sequence director, you know, on that film. Um, then after that, uh, it bombed. Toy Story came out uh, for Pixar. And after Toy Story came out, it was the beginning of the end for classical 2D animation in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's a long story. They, they closed Warner Brothers Feature Animation. And I had a choice. I had a house in the hills, a beautiful house, it's worth a couple million now, I think. I wish I kept it longer. But I made a, a good chunk of money. Not that much, but I made a good chunk of money. Yeah. And my wife wanted to go back to England. So I was able to, to buy a house here, put money into business, and started Baisley Films. Still in animation at that point. Um, but I'm, I'm going to fast forward. Um, I got, for many years, the, the 2D animation was, was dark. It was hardly any. So I did CGI as well, which for me didn't excite me in the same way. I did some work on Harry Potter. But uh, I was a technician of one of you know, hundreds of people at computers, and I didn't even make, meet the director. So that wasn't for me. And then uh, freelance suited me. On I was doing a lot of storyboard work for companies in Ireland, in Europe, in Australia, and America. And I was still going back and forth to America for about 20 years um, and got to uh, direct a uh, TV pilot called Lost Treasure Hunt, um, which um, got two Emmy nominations. So that, that I was directing that. Uh, I was directing animated commercials, so I was directing more. Um, but the storyboards in animation, I was frustrated at the quality of kids' TV series. There's one or two good ones, but most of it is fodder. So um, I wanted to make my own films. I loved live action. And I suddenly th I thought, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try this. I wanted to be a Disney animator. I did it. I now want to direct live action films, and I'm damn well going to do it too. So I started chipping away at live action. Um, it's like that thing, no film school. I learned on the job. So I created, a, uh, I pitched an idea to Bath Tourism about this Roman soldier that comes out of the waters and is resurrected uh, for a promotional film. And uh, long story, they, they went for it. And uh, I went on the shoot. It was my first live action shoot. Um, we had a you know, whole crew there. And I, so literally I was le learning on the job, but it's the best way, um, absorbing it all. Um, and then, uh, actually, during this time, I had teamed up with uh, Gary Kurtz, uh, producer of Star Wars, Dark Crystal, American mm. Graffiti, and we formed GBK Hybrid. And we had a number of projects, one animated feature, uh, but a number of live action features. So I was able to pick Gary Kurtz's brains. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Um, bless him, he, he, he passed away a few years. I miss him hugely, but a huge influence on my life. So I chipped away the live action projects. We developed the number, um, but with big films, they take a long, long time to develop and convincing the executives, packaging them, putting them together. And um, after Gary passed away, um, I had a couple projects fall through. And I, I said to, I'd met with uh, a great DOP called John Fry and said, excuse my French, bugger it. Let's just yeah. go at it and make, a film. Let's just do it. You've got all the kit. We've got the know-how. I worked with this fabulous writer called Neil Basson, who's been developing a number of scripts 
um, for me. I, I, I come up with a, a very basic idea and bounce them around, and he formulates them into a terrific story. So, uh, you know, censure wouldn't be what it is without the basis, the foundation of what Neil did in the script. Um, there's, there's some additions and changes, but 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 you know, if you've got a good writer, they're like pure gold because I've, I've I've read a lot of scripts and it's, yeah, there's some great screenwriters out there, but the, you know, there's a lot that aren't. So uh, I'm I'm very lucky to have found him. So um, I said to him, I had this idea during lockdown, and and it was uh, we had all these restrictions, and I was like, I had this idea. I got this this uh, chap who all these voices were off screen. He was like losing his mind. So I talked to the uh, screenwriter and he came up with uh, the script. And as we came out of lockdown, I said, you know what? I still like this idea. Although we don't have these restrictions, I still want to work with that idea. Um, so Neil developed it more. And uh, and we, we, we put the pieces together. I pulled in um, uh, Adrian Chibbers and Daniel Penne, who are part of a, a group called Noise In Your Eye. And they have a whole ensemble of artists, would you believe, including Nick Mason of Pink Floyd mm. on the percussion and lots of others. Uh, I wish I could remember them all now. Um, but he had a body of work uh, from the last 10 years. I'd, I'd listened to a CD and they put it onto a CD. And I said, this is film music. It's amazing. So when it came to Century, I said, are you interested? And he said, yes. Um, and he was able to, instead of having to do a whole score completely from scratch, he was able to adapt and tweak and rearrange. Um, and that's what you hear in censure. Um, and that's why it's so the music is just so phenomenal. That's just not a few months' work, that's a decade's worth of work condensed in there. So okay, so let's talk about censure yeah. for a second. Thank you for that that story too, because like you, yeah. this is this is kind of your third your third act, I guess. Your yeah. third, yeah, yeah, your third career in a sense, yeah. right? So which is amazing. And I'm assuming you're doing these shorts, like you have another one that's in the festival circuit yeah. to, to lead you up to making feature films. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um absolutely. I, we, we've got I've got one that I developed with Gary Kurtz called the Chimeran, uh developed with Gary Kurtz and Paul Goodenough. Um and we developed that for a number of years. Um and there's some comics that were in heavy metal based on it. Um, so we've got the the IP and the property, um, but it's been it's been taking a, a while to. We've got another top producer on it. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it yet. I'd, I'd have to get his permission, but he's he's <laughs> up there. Um, so 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 um, they are they are there, and I will be using the leverage of the awards and the recognition from these small films to get some of those features going. I've got another one. It's called George and the Dragon, but it's nothing to do with the, the 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 actual George and the Dragon. It's actually based on my grandfather, who was a um, a Cornish uh, champion wrestler. Yeah, and he was a champion, and he, he was very poor, very poor. Um, and they would have all these wrestling matches. Now, back in the day, before television and before, or even radio and all this stuff. You would have hundreds in Cornwall at an event. You would have hundreds, if not thousands, I think, people turned up to these events. Cornish wrestling is now <clears throat> down to a handful of uh, families that are doing it. So it's a bit like a um, um, mixture of judo and martial arts. Um, they have these jackets. They have, they have You have to throw them onto their back and pin them down uh, for a number of seconds. So um, my grandfather... Uh, Went, he, he hardly went anywhere, but he went up to um, uh, London Palladium and had a match with uh, Yukio Tani, who was uh, a Japanese grand 
martial arts, uh, uh, you know, uh, fighter. And um, he he had a match with him, and somehow I think the uh, he, 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 well, I don't want to give the story away. It's not like a, a rocky story where he wins right away. There's a twist, yeah. and he used a technique that technically wasn't allowed. The the Japanese guy, and in my story, we have a rematch. Um, and it takes place by some ancient stones. But I'll leave it at that. It's really mystical. It's a wonderful story. And it's also about his... It's a drama too. So, we, we you know, we, we take the story of his family and why he's, why he's wrestling to bring money in on the side. Yeah. Uh, he was a labourer. So we've elaborated a bit. So that is um, probably a, a... You know, it's a, it's a, period, a, drama, a period drama. Um, and they're always hard to sell. Um, so I do need to build up a reputation with the smaller films to give me more clout with gotcha. some of the other films, you know. So, well, I so, want to point yeah. out uh, that you're whoever's doing if it's you or somebody else who's ever doing your promotional is doing a fantastic job. Like you go to your <laughs> websites, you <laughs> sent your website, you go to your personal Instagram feed, like you're show you're showcasing your work and you're also giving testimonials to who you are and uh well, that's, that's in, wonderful career, thank right? you. So, I, I did work in advertising for a couple of years and i did publicity well you can tell because you're doing it you're but, doing a fantastic exactly so, i would so, use well, your like for because i obviously interview a lot of people who make short films i would use your 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 promotion as a template of what people what oh, other wow. short filmmakers should do so that's fantastic well the thing is there's so much more promotion than when i was um at college or doing publicity degree up in Liverpool, um, you know, you didn't have podcasts, you didn't have Zoom meetings, you didn't have a Twitter, or you didn't have the internet. Um, so to me, yeah. it's like, my God, it's, uh, I don't think people quite realise how amazing it, it all is. And, and I like to write articles and I put them up on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. I've got a number of articles there um, because a number of people said, said to me, you should write a book. I yeah. thought, I haven't got time to do that. But I thought, if I chip away and do article after article, there'll be a good chunk of a book there written. Yeah, um, well, 100%. And, it's like, that's, yeah, or even podcasts like you're doing now, right? The more yeah, you talk, yeah. like, and the interesting thing is that, like, even 10 years ago, you would have to, like, you're talking about technology. Oh. There's no film freeway. Like, you would have oh. to, like, send in your DVD to the oh, to every festival individually, right? 20, so. 20 years ago, when I moved back from um, LA, I did make an animated short. I haven't, I don't promote it a lot yet because I'm, I'm, I've been on the live action, pushing the live action stuff, but it was an animated short I did in Flash and it was very crude at the time, but I did a short film. Um, I, I got it, uh, some sponsors and they, they had to spend $8,000 to put it on film to qualify uh, to go into a theater at Lamley's Theater on Sunset in LA to try and qualify for the Oscars. Now it didn't, but it was a learning experience. And when I got back, I had to make all these videos on those old umatic types, you know, they're, they're yeah. like sizes of bricks, you know? So by the time I made a load of those and sent them off and then you get, you're bound to get rejections. Like, although I've won over 40 awards for century, you have to, you have to apply to a lot to win a lot. So yeah. I've put now, I couldn't have made a couple hundred umatic tapes and sent them out because they cost a fortune, those umatic tapes. Then you've got to post it to different parts of the world. Yeah, I was um, doing festivals back then. It was like a ah, completely different world, right? Completely I different. DVDs and had a, yeah. have a PO box and like... Oh, uh, horrible. Yeah, it's it's horrible. so easy. So I, I entered it into a handful of festivals <laughs> and got disillusioned and thought, sod that, I'm not spending all that money. Uh, but with Film Freeway, you put it up on, you know, you upload it once. And you click away it is it, it's fantastic so um yeah. I'll, I'll give uh, i get on very well with the people that run that so i'll give them a good plug 
brilliant platform. I love it. Okay, so talk, let's talk about Centre for a second. Well, the first yeah. question, uh, why why black and white? Why ah. you- well, as you, as you said, because um, black and white isn't always, sometimes some people are turned off by uh, black and white, but it, it's becoming more prevalent. And if you see um, uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, that's in black and white, uh, and uh, Roma, um, which is an amazing uh, film by uh, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, brilliant films in black and white, um, and and I enjoy them. I must have years ago. I was a bit less likely to, but I enjoy black and white films now. But I wanted this. This whole world is quite dark um, and oppressive, and and he's feeling uh, closed in his own mind. So, and it was a cold time of year here in England, and it was a good time to shoot it. So it felt right, and I knew there was this moment. I don't know if I can, should give much away. There's I was going to ask you, can we give away? Can yeah, we to give away. The yeah, movie? there's a dance sequence basically where where he. He his, he he comes out as himself. I say that, and and it bursts into color, um, and everybody just loves that because it, it's so much more impactful because the rest is in black and white. Hundred um, percent. So so well, that it shows that when he's like when he's himself, like when he's the regular guy that he is. Yeah. His world is in black and white. Thematically, his world is in black and white. And yeah. It's grim. He turns into like what he wants to be. Yeah. in terms of like his identity and basically yeah. it's he's in color so it, it works yeah. perfectly thematically yeah so so that's that's that was the thinking there and it was a great you know I, I talked to john about it and he was actually totally um up for it the, the dop um and the the current one uh confines we've done in color because it felt right in color okay. so so um so no i've done my black and white film there so um <laughs> i'm very happy about you got it. that out of the way right you got the yeah, black and white yeah, yeah, yeah. film out of the way yeah so tell me about okay so then tell me about the process like obviously your act your 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 lead actor is is in every scene lots yeah. of close-ups like he's your yeah. key to your film where did you find him ah so um uh, this is another project that sort of fell through may come back but i was a director for hire on a film that, that has been paused say it was going to be a horror film in ireland uh, would have been a terrific film, still might be. And I saw all these auditions and um, I saw Connor Wolfric do this audition. And um, oh, bloody, it was just phenomenal. I was like, wow, my jaw dropped to the ground. And when the project fell through or, or got paused, I was like, damn. But I, I, parked, I parked him in my mind. And amazingly, he's not that far away. He's probably 30 miles down the road here, not that far. Um, so that was convenient. But um, when I had this idea, I said to the writer, I said, I've got the perfect guy in mind and sent him the showreel. So he got excited about it. Um, so that's that's how I found um, uh, Connor. Um, then uh, for the other characters who are mainly off screen, Tom Conti, as I already mentioned, uh, yeah. uh, I, I was interested in one of my feature projects. Again, um, I still might do, and hopefully I can do in the future. It's a project, I won't go into too much about it. It's based on my father who had Parkinson's. Um, it's called I See Spiders. Um, I don't, I can't say too much because it was optioned for a while uh, by some Hollywood guys. Um, and I won't go into the details except that I've got it back now and I'm very, very, very happy to have it back in my hands that, so that I can, uh, can control what is basically a legacy film about my father, which is where it should be. So that's good. Um, so um so um other actors in there um are um Vivian Taylor. So I actually found her online. I did the hunting showreels around and I knew as it was her voice only, we um 
she could do it remotely from Glasgow, and I thought she was terrific. And she can do an English accent, um, but I loved her Glaswegian uh, accent, the natural accent. And for that scene, it's just hilarious because the word she said she swears in it, and, uh, and it works with the Glaswegian accent. And so the funny thing is, Neil wrote the whole script, the whole thing, but that particular scene we did in snippets, and I, I ended. That was the only scene I would say that I wrote. Um, because there was a particular type of humour that I've got um, where she talks about a cream at the yeah. end of it. Uh, and so those were, that was my dark humour, I guess. So uh, I, I enjoyed writing that. And then she recommended um, Elaine Mackenzie Ellis, which is a great um, Scottish actress, um, as her uh, mother. Um, and um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other... Now, anyone else in it, um, most of them are off screen. There is... Yeah, he, but he's who, like he's the like he's the key, right? Like it's Connor William, right? Your your uh, your yeah, yeah, it was Connor William. Um, he changed his name because I think to get on his name on a certain platform, that name was taken. Believe it or not, even though it's his name, yeah. so he had to, to get on that platform. He had to change it to Connor Wolfric. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah, well, so that's it, his name. Actor, that's it happens his with actors name. all the time, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so basically, so then you like you said, it's thirty eight minutes long, but it's really kind of like one location. And yeah, you give it, there's a lot of breathing room in in this yeah. film. We're like, yeah. but I have to I have to say, like, it's a beautifully shot film. Like, it's like it's, it's, it's thanks to John E. Fry. Um, yeah. just gorgeous. He he is his main uh, where he rents out film equipment, so he's got all the kit, but it's all about the eye, you know. Um, and his main bread and butter has been corporate work. Um, but I think he's really glad to get, have got involved in these films because he's doing things that you, you can't you don't get the chance to incorporate work yeah so so there's lots of stuff there where he's really stretching his wings um the you know the shot in the tunnel the tunnel at the beginning where he walks towards camera it's such a a beautiful shot i I walked i've walked through that hundreds of times always thought what a great shot that would be in a film and and there it is and i I live in this village called box uh real world studios is down the road uh, peter gabriel's studio so it's a real creative, it's a, it's an unusually creative village. There's yeah. loads of artists, there's loads of musicians. Um, uh, there's all sorts of, uh, Nick Mason lives nearby. Um, our, our next door neighbor was married to the guy from Tears for Fears. They're everywhere. <laughs> so it's it's a real uh, a creative hub, I think, quite very unusual. So the um, film's got a couple twists to it, right? Twists and turns and... Yeah. In, in, yeah. Uh, and like you said, the one when it turns in the color, like when he yeah. becomes himself. And yeah. then in the end, it's like, what the hell? It's like yeah. you're watching the film and it's like, this yeah. is the last thing you're expecting. That's right. In the film. Uh, and it's yeah. like, what is going on here? Right. Like you're just thinking it's yeah. like a character study of this, of this guy and like yeah. who, like, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden it turns into like a thriller. It turns into like yeah. a crime movie. Yeah. It, it's just very enjoyable because. So many Hollywood films I watch, you know the ending because I've read all the books. Sure. Uh, Sid yeah. Field on screenwriting, Robert McKee's story. I've read them all. Uh, 90% and, of Hollywood films, you you know where, you know the ending. And, right? and, like, save, the, and save the Cat. Uh, the problem with yeah. Save the Cat is that it's so specific. You've got to do this on a certain page. And it, for me, it's too much. Um and and uh, what was great, it, it, the thing is, in, in, in this film, people won't know what's going to happen. And it's a surprise. A bit like in Sixth Sense, when the ring runs across the room and you realise that uh, he was a ghost all along. It's just brilliant. Um, so I love films like that. Um, 
So, so uh, yeah, there's there's twists and turns, and I say you know I had the freedom to be brave, um, to 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 do it the way that I wanted to. So uh, you know that's the beauty of short films, you know. Yeah, no, it's like I said. There's, there's like it's it's a pretty like intense film, and like you said, you think it's one thing, and then you kind of like you kind of like you take us on a journey, and it's like oh that's so sweet, and then yeah. all of a sudden yeah. you take us on another journey, and it's like oh, yeah. that's so dark. Yeah, it's like you're like you're changing the tone. And, but, uh, and, what, and what I was I was delighted about was thrilled was your guys uh, from the black and white uh, feedback. What did you think? Of, what did you think about the audience had to say from our festival? Oh, it was fantastic! It, it's such a th- I mean, I'm going to this um, a live screening on on Friday, so a handful of people may come up and say a few words. But that was the first time I'd seen audience reactions recorded. Uh, I thought they all had something uh, really insightful to say. Sometimes slightly different interpretations, which is actually okay, um, because I, I kind of like, uh, even my, my new film, uh, I'll leave it open to a little bit of interpretation, um, and it makes the audience work a bit, you know, um, and it's not predictable. So um, I, I, I love watching the feedback, I really did. So can you thank, give them a personal thank you to them all? Yeah, no, everybody loved your film. It was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. so I got to ask you about, thank you for that, by the way. It's, it, it, oh, it's yeah. like a really felt like a fantastic film. I got to yeah. ask you about the location because the location is basically, we're talking about casting. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a character in itself and it's kind of yeah. has that kind of older kind of house kind of vibe to it yeah. where you step in and the walls kind of creak a little bit. Oh, oh, you mean the actual building, which is Ebenezer Chapel. Yeah, where did you Chapel. shoot it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I say Ebenezer Chapel. And uh, coincidentally, um, Adrian Chibbers, the composer uh, with Noise in Your Eye, uh, that's uh, his house. Uh, okay. Well, it's, it's his rental. He, he, he now lives um, somewhere else, but he rents this place out. Um, it's mainly for like bachelorette parties for people to go to bath because it can take <laughs> like 10 people in there. So yeah. got all these fabulous rooms with quirky furniture, uh, with all sorts of interesting pictures. And, it, it, you know, we didn't have to uh, get a, a set designer or because or, or, a lot of people said, "Wow, fantastic set designers design." Um, it's all there in the actual. It's already done, in, you know. So that the Buddha in the in the bathroom uh, is already there, um, and uh, the bathroom I love because when I went in and saw it the first time, it's incredibly long. And I said to John, "I said I want Connor or Aaron, the character in the bath. His sister, or his stepsister, is berating him from outside, berating him, going on and on." And I just want the slow trucking on him, just really slow with a hum, with a, with a, you know, like in horror films, and you think, what's going on here? Yeah. And and, he, and John says, oh, should we get one with him turning around? I said, no, I don't want him to turn around. Uh, I, I want him to look for, and he can hold his hands up like he's he's meditating. Um, so I had that scene in my head, you know, and just looking around when we did the recce, we looked around all the rooms, deciding on whose room was which. I also knew about the dance sequence and I needed space to, to reveal what happens at the end. I needed a space um, so we could film up on the balcony. Now, if we'd done it in a local house nearby or any house, it would not have had the film's cinematic quality. So that house opened itself up to all those beautiful shots, interior shots. So that was a character in itself. Um, and I'd say anywhere around here in the village, from the marketplace where we go down that little street where people are twitching the curtains back, um, the 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 John the 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 uh, the, the or the um, uh, Dave sorry the butcher yeah. uh, as we walk up the hill he's he peers out and he's got his his, his uh, 
the thing in his hand there, and and you know you got the other curtains twitching. I just we just talked to, to local people and said, can you be in the film? Can you do this? And same with the uh, the one of the opening scenes is just the local shop. Yeah, uh, Chris Cunningham, he's a, a local uh, post office, uh, uh, you know, uh, owner here. So um, he he did a, a few lines. I wouldn't I wouldn't give them more, but but um, it worked, you know. And then the, the one last uh, one last location. What's I, I think of it? Um, up in the hills here is a war bunker. Um, there's a box tunnel which is uh, built by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. And nearby in the woods is a war bunker. And I'm guessing, because they used to have ammunition that come out from this tunnel during the war from an underground bunker, which has a million square feet underground, all underground here. And this war, this war bunker, I guess, was to protect it. So anyway, nowadays, nobody uses it except youngsters who go up there and have a few beers in the evening at night or whatever. So we were, I said to them, let's do a scene up there where he's just get, escaping from all of this, trying to get it all out of his head. But he goes in there, has a few beers. And in some ways, it's it's his war room. He's preparing for war. So he's yeah. there formulating. So that's one of the symbols, part of the symbolism of that scene. And this, this to go back to your house, the house location, you have like yeah. some really cool bird's eye view shots. So you like, yeah, it really like that. The large, the the big, like, the large ceilings, like you, like yeah. most modern houses don't have ceilings yeah. like that in that house, so, right? So it's like the big beams, the big beams, and the, yeah, yeah the you got some really, you got some really great, fantastic <laughs> shots. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's just a really solid film all around. So oh, you were mentioning you. that you have another film, right? You have another yes. film, possible circuit. Yeah, so uh, it's called Confines, and um, as I put it, we put out a lot of this PR and press um, about the film, um, uh, it might have been through LinkedIn or through festival. Luke uh, F. Dejang uh, saw the film and said, he said, man, I, I love your film. I think it's great. He said, uh, I'm an actor, and he'd been in a lot of things when he was a youngster, um, Holby City uh, and London's Burning a bit later, but uh, kind of realised that uh, well, to raise his family for security, set up a business, um, which was very successful. So he he took a break for a good decade or more, um, but he was missing the acting and wanted to come back. And he said, uh, "I'd love to do something with you." So we put our thinking caps on, and there's a place up the road called the Blind House, and it's outside the pub. And it's where they would have put uh, probably drunks uh, or criminals back in the day, probably before they had police and locked them up. There's a tiny little grill, yeah. um, but it's very dark in there. And again, I, it was another location I always wanted to use in a film. So I talked to Neil. I, I said, I've got this idea about mental health, about this guy beating himself up. And he's imprisoned in his mind, but I want to symbolize it in this box. So he started writing the script and uh, just an amazing monologue. We had to we had a very tiny budget. So uh, we could only have a couple actors um, um, and a few locations. And um, so he started fleshing it out. And then I said, you know what? Um, he's beating himself up, but uh, 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 in case, so we just don't have a guy in a room talking for 20 minutes. I want to expand on it, make it look bigger. Um, can we have a sequence with a maze? So he gets out, but he's still trapped and he runs around this maze. Um, so I found this place uh, in Wales, in ross on Wye, called The Amazing Hedge Puzzle. And we we went and filmed a scene there where he's running down and screaming down these this around this maze. And then for the final scene, I won't give too much away again. Yeah. Uh, but it takes place uh at the Cheddar Gorge, where you've got these amazing cliffs 
Um, it's an incredible uh, place. Again, not that far away, maybe an hour away. Um, so we shot a scene there. Now, the, the funny thing is uh, about this film is that uh, it actually snowed uh, the, the day we started production. And I was terrified because we had a film years ago that uh, it snowed. And because everything was put back, we only had a limited budget, it never happened. So I was thinking, oh, my God, please, please. Let's, I hope the snow doesn't stop the filming because it looked great. Um, I had to, because uh, I was wearing many hats as well, as well as directing. Uh, I was even doing a lot of the scheduling. So uh, I had to pick up Vivian from Bristol Airport. She flew down from uh, Glasgow. Yeah. And uh, as I drove down to uh, Bristol, the snow was melting away. I thought, oh, good, she'll be able to land. Then I thought, oh, damn, I would like to film that snow. But as when I picked her up and we drove back to uh, Corsham, um, we drove back, the snow was still there and settled. And this is a location, I'll tell you, you'll, you'll, you'll love this. This is Corsham Court. They shot, Stanley Kubrick shot scenes, some of the battle scenes from um, Barry Lyndon there. Oh, wow. Right up the road here, right up the road. So <laughs> that's why I was spoilt for locations around here. And I'll, I'll quickly add, there's Castle Coombe up the road. They shot War Horse. There's uh, uh, Laycock up the road. Uh, they shot um, uh, Harry Potter there. Um, they shoot all sorts because it's so beautiful around here. So, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. So you're so when so then you you got these short films. You're doing yeah. well in the festival circuit. You're getting awards. Yeah. So when's the when's the big plunge? When are you making your feature first feature? <laughs> yeah, that's a million dollar question. And that's a million dollars, <laughs> literally, right? Because it's take well, I think a million dollars. Well, the, the 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 lower budget ones at, at, at a million or a couple million. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of years away, but I've got one I want to film in Bristol. I can't give you the title of it yet, but it's a micro budget. And as it's a micro budget, um, uh, it it could be well doable within the next couple of years. So um, that's one of those. I'm just going to have to make that happen. And in the meantime, just keep knocking on doors with the with the bigger guys. So gotcha. I've got a lot of great supporters, uh, big big producers who've written wonderful letters of reference. Uh, Mario Kazar. Um, who produced Rambo, Basic Instinct. Um, he's behind me, uh, as is Howard Kazanjan, produced Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi. So I'm I'm really uh, privileged to have such distinguished uh, and uh, producers, uh, you know, behind me and, and, and pushing. So um, and they've they've thoroughly enjoyed the the short films, which are done for a pittance compared to some say the Terminator, which, which Mario produced, you know, uh, yeah. but it's, it's amazing to get uh, such compliments from those guys. And so, and you just, uh, according to uh, my research is that you just, as we're doing this podcast, you just, you just uh, had a birthday, right? You just uh, celebrated a birthday last week. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I'm 61. I'm, I'm getting uh, I'm in my later years. Um, but you know what, as a director, the great thing is uh, you can carry on till you drop. And you get better as you get older, I think. Yeah. Um, well, these, I Clint Eastwood's in his nineties, right? Sorry, Clint Eastwood's in his nineties. Yeah. So, there yeah. you go. So um, I couldn't have made censure the way I did yeah. in my in my thirties. I, I couldn't have. Done, I wouldn't have had the knowledge or experience. I'm not saying. I mean, you, people can make good films at that age. I mean, you, you've got. Uh, I don't know how Spielberg did Jaws at the age he did. Incredible. Um, but you know that, that's a genius. You know, but. Um, I needed more time to mature 
<laughs> oh yeah, most of them do. There, there are those, but then, the, the, then there's also the burnout factor, right? Like people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. they make like three or four great films, and then they, they they never make like look at Freakin in the seventies, right? Like That's he right. He yeah. made a couple good films, and then he's he never heard from again, right? So and and there's some other. Um, I won't I won't say because Brad Bird's done incredibly well. Oh, Brad Bird, yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. He's becoming a legend. But, yeah, but there's another. Um, couple uh, and tim burton of course came, but he was an ex-disney animator as well yeah but there's another a uh, couple out there that made some uh biggest films 20 odd years ago and haven't done a lot since so it's a funny old business you know um all you can do is what you do and keep prodding away uh and and keep trying to make i had somebody say to me Yo, you've been very lucky i said well kind of but you make your own luck you just keep on doing it if something happens fantastic if it doesn't at least you know you're trying you know yeah. you've got to keep trying well the, i think we you you grew up in like the disney and i have you have to give credit with credits too like the storytelling and a lot of those animation films are excellent the oh, in nuance, the early there's a nuance involved there's like yeah. uh there's like a really great plotting device like it's really the, yeah. the, the storytelling is fantastic so you must have picked up a lot of great oh, knowledge like yeah, i mean a study i mean what's interesting is when i was at disney uh, and at Warner Brothers, we had uh, courses as well as life drawing courses. We had story classes um, at Warner Brothers. It, it wouldn't happen now, but in between films, in between um, The Iron Giant and a film called Osmosis Jones, which I animated a character called Drix with David High Pierce voicing, we had about six months where they kept a handful of us on. They, they lay most people off, which is how it works, but they kept a handful of us on um, and just kind of taught us stuff. Um, we had... Uh, Story classes with Chris Vogler, who wrote The Hero's Journey. Uh, he would come. These were free classes that Warner Brothers were paying for us. You know, um, all we had acting classes. Uh, you know, they taught some of the best actors. So all of this stuff you you do absorb. Um, and I wrote actually an article on LinkedIn uh, recently called um, "Acting um, or about the process of acting," and uh, I mentioned a lot of this stuff about my background in animation and, and how it um, sort of affects some of my direction uh, and some of my influences. Because in animation, in the old days, the characters, they would give them what's called business, things to do. So yeah. I blew the bear. When they, instead of them just talking, well, they're singing, you know, but they do stuff. So he pulls a tree out and scratches his back. He lifts a rock uh, uh, and, and to get an ant. And uh, uh, Mowgli crawls in a bit. And as uh, he releases the rock, Mowgli just about pulls back now that wouldn't have been in the script these are things that storyboard artists at disney add uh, in tv series it tends to be more literal to the script so i learned this is what pixar did and why the disney films are so good yeah they add all these nuances of character in the storyboarding process so i was able to do stuff like that in the process of making these films so there are things like oh let's try this here it may not say it exactly here but let's try this so it, it gives me ideas. So, so all that stuff is you, all your past and your inferences, it, whoever they are, 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 are useful for, for directing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time and candor. I appreciate oh. those last those last two cents because, yeah, like it's 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 all about the nuance. Right. It's all about yeah. the subtle kind of sub subjective kind of like subconscious things. And yeah. I, I forgot to mention, but you, you mentioned the music, too. But even your sound design in the film is fantastic. Oh, very so very much. subtle very like you said full of nuance it's like yeah. it's just the film like it's like i said it's 40 minutes long 90 percent of the film is one location 
Yeah. But it it really works. It, you, it's you not supposed feel, to work. You don't it works. feel like that. I know you don't feel like that. Yeah. And even I have to say myself when I sit down and watch it and watch the whole thing, it never feels like forty minutes. It always yeah. feels like yeah, you know, it never feels it. So uh, so you uh, basically you got some game. You got some directing game. Uh, so yeah. uh, I'd love yeah. to see your feature film. I would love to see your, your other short as well. I'll, right? I'll send you a link to uh, uh, to, to to confines in confidence because it's still in festivals. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll send you a private link. Well, we do it. have a festival as well, right? So yeah, <laughs> so absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, it's it's coming. It's coming. I'll, I'll I'll yeah. Let me know the date, and it's coming. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time, Kinder, and like you're you're an education for sure. I appreciate. it. And let's talk again when when we showcase your next film. That, that's wonderful. Let, let me know when the podcast is up. I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll promote it <laughs> like you do like you do. Well. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Thank you.